He struts like John Wayne, resembles Jim Carrey, and dresses like he's visually impaired. Because he is Insight. Insight with Mark Farrell on the Progressive Radio Network. Network. Ah, yes. Thursday morning. Hello, world. Hope you're feeling great. <laughs> I am, man. I'm loving this cold weather in New York City. 51. Yes, I know. 51's not cold. I'm really digging it. A friend of mine is in Chicago today. They said it's really warm as well. Windy City, everyone's getting a little bit of a mild entree for a entrance into winter. Love it. <laughs> hey, my name's Mark Farrell. Thanks so much for the Thursday hang. Got a great show coming your way. You're going to meet Deborah Driggs. She's a healing coach. She's an author. She's an awesome person, man. She's got a very interesting background, man. She's appeared on the cover of Playboy. That's right. When's the last time you heard those words together? Playboy and cover. Because, uh, yeah, it's so different nowadays, right? The digital world that we live in. She's a former model, actress, former figure skater at a very young age. And she got involved with alcohol due to a lot of things in life, like a lot of us come across. Voids that we have in life. Things we're trying to account for. Things we're trying to make up for. Substitute. Sometimes we're just trying to make it through the day. Whether it's alcohol Way too many trips and way too much money spent at Starbucks. (laughs) We all have our vices, right? What is my vice? I'd say fitness is my vice. Uh, Talking is my vice because I I love connecting with people. And when I don't do it, it impacts me. So we're going to meet Deborah Driggs in a few minutes. But I also want to talk about a few things uh, we're going to get to. I'm going to tell you about my mobile music and positivity events that I started during the pandemic which have gotten uh, stronger and bigger, have grown. And I'll tell you all about that. It's very, very exciting. It's a very original idea. And I think it's uh, something that communities really, really embrace. Well, I know it is because they they keep asking me to do it for them. I want to talk about, uh, I guess I would call it age appropriateness. Because in the last couple of weeks, uh, I had COVID for the first time. You believe that? After two plus years of dodging this son of a gun, it caught me. And I had a mild case, thankfully. And um, so I was in a doctor's office uh, two or three times. My kids, so long story short, I've spent more time on social media in the last couple of weeks than I have, oh, I don't know, maybe ever. And I got a few takeaways. And I'm sure I'm far from alone on this. That number one, and I I don't mean to target women, but I am going to be targeting women on this because... I think for the majority, it does apply to them. Age appropriateness on social media. I I cringe when I see, I I guess I can't label, I don't know, ages. Maybe women in their 40s, 50s, definitely 40s and 50s, and possibly 60s. Really just trying to, hey, listen, I'm all for youth of spirit and mind and uh, what else? What else can I attach the word used to? Life, I guess, right? But it comes at a point of an embarrassment when you see mothers trying to really, really stay trendy. And again, it's cool to stay trendy, but where do you draw the line where you're trying to appeal to people in a desperate way by showing either way too much skin 
articles of clothing that just really say, look at me. I need your uh, validation. I need your attention. I need your love. I need your influence. I need all this stuff. I feel so bad for these people. It's embarrassing. And especially when you see, again, a lot of times I'm, I'm talking about women with their kids. Sometimes the kids are very young and so they don't know. But when they look back, they're going to they're gonna be in therapy just by looking at the, the post that their mother made on social media alone. Holy cow, man. And their stances. Let's talk about how women stance. I guess there's, there's probably websites. There's probably podcasts. There's probably videos. Countless information on how to look. When you do step and repeats, that's when you go in front of like a, a backdrop um, or just in front of when the hips are out and the hands on the hip, the head's tilted. They know how to. And, and it's very cool. I get it. We all want to look good. But when it looks overt, when it looks like my number one job is to look good for you, it's it's just I don't know. It's it's disgusting. It's just disgusting, man. Does that bother you as well? I find it embarrassing for these people. And I find it like, oh, my God, is this just how shallow and vapid people can be? I know. We, we all know that, right? I know. That's why you're here. It's like a, this is a, a real true blue, you know, honest to goodness network of conversation, real conversation. So I know you get this. But I feel so bad when it's with kids. And sometimes when the kids are teenagers or even in their 20s, you see them. Their looks on their faces are like, oh, my God, yes, that's, that's my mother. So I believe me, uh, I'm not that young anymore, man. I feel young as hell. I take really good care of myself. As a matter of fact, I just bought, this is kind of a joke. I just bought, uh, I guess it's called hair dye, uh, like you, the brush for men. My uh, pork, my comb pork chops, my chops on the side of my uh, head, my sideburns. That's yes, that's where sideburns are usually located, Mark, on the side of your head. Uh, that's why they call their sideburns. Um, I bought some uh, hair dye because my daughter was like, Dad, your, your chops are getting gray. I'm like, yeah, you know what? We should. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're in a store today. She's like, look. I'm like, hey, let's pick it up. Let's give it a whirl. But thankfully, my father turned gray when he was, oh, man, I think he was like 30. My mother, actually, she's 96. She only got gray <laughs> in her 80s. Like crazy. Never dyed her hair. Just a, a regal woman and just very, very fortunate. And fortunately for me, uh, <coughs> excuse me, even in my 40s, no gray. Unbelievable. Very, very fortunate. So anyway, but I believe, I get how people want to stay and appear younger. But at what point do you sacrifice embarrassment? Um, I, can't, I guess I can't say self-esteem because that's why they're doing it, to increase or to maintain their self-esteem. But, uh, you know, again, at what point, man, just just take a step back. And uh, again, I, I don't think this applies to PRN listeners, but maybe maybe we all should take a step back and objectively look at your pictures and what you're presenting to the world on social media, your website, whatever the case may be. Is that really what you want your family, your children, your friends, your colleagues to see you portrayed as? Is it professional? Like for my Facebook and social media, Twitter account, all those, anything I post is all professional. It may not look like um, uh, it's all professional, but it's all work related. I'm either hosting event, promoting event. I'm going to host a host 
hosting event I already did uh, talking about a talk. I did a motivational talk at a school, college, or corporation, or something in those realms, or speaking for American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Any one of those is pretty much what I... Oh, I'm sorry. And radio, of course. How, how can I forget about radio? Um, either PRN or the other two radio stations, the rock station and the jazz station I work for. Uh, I post about that. But otherwise, for me, I don't want to share anything about my kids on there. Uh, very, I think there's probably less than 10 times in over the 10 years I've been on social media that I've posted anything about my family. If I do... My kids are not identified. My wife is not even identified. My wife is not on social media at all because of her job. She's a lawyer. She has a high-profile job. And she's extremely ethical. Extremely ethical. I hold her up in such high regard because she has such morals and ethics for her job and her profession. We all should be that ethical, regardless of what we do. Sorry, had to hit the mute button there. Cough hasn't totally gone away. Anyway, hey, thanks for... You, do you feel that way, though? I mean, I know it's the world we live in. Like, the influencers are just taking over the world, man. I just feel like, come on, millennials, just get a real job. I mean, can we get some people here who know what grit is all about? Not about taking videos and posting them on YouTube and every other platform out there and making some decent money. It's amazing. Again, <laughs> that time I was exposed to social media and doctor's offices in the last couple of weeks is killing time. I'm like, whoa, man. I'm kind of glad that I did because it was kind of a wake-up call for me. Again, I wasn't in, in some like living in some cloud nine universe where I'm detached. No, but I just don't like looking at social media that much because I really don't care what you're doing or what you're influencing, what you're promoting, because I know it's not really genuine. Yeah, well, I may like it. Well, okay. Um, the only thing I really kind of dig, I got into a little bit, is woodworking. There's a ton of guys out there who do carpentry, woodworking, DIY uh, videos. And some of them, man, I walk away with like, whoa, that's, that's a great input. I don't buy anything. It shows me tips, trades, tactics on how to make cuts, how to be safer, how to save time, save money, etc. That's kind of cool. And these, these are real educational, you know, it's a recreational thing. But for me, woodworking is like therapy. It's like going to the gym. Uh, but, you know, the influence, man, I'm just like, come on already. Like, <laughs> I just can't imagine like waking up in the morning and be like, okay, I can make a video on A, B, and C. But, I mean, am I being closed-minded? Is Mark Farrell being ignorant on this? Hmm. Hey, listen. If you can make a buck in this world, in your lifetime, without hurting people or being defamatory, I suppose, I guess all the power to you, right? I mean, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, in a sense, I guess I'm doing the same thing right here. I'm influencing people indirectly. I'm not trying to get you to agree with me or align yourself with me. I just try to... Number one, entertain, share positivity, because however you apply a positive perspective in life, I think that's very vital and, I don't know, really important in life. 
Do I try to get people to side with me? No. I mean, it's great if you do. It's great if you don't. It's cool. I mean, that's another reason why you listen to the Progressive Radio Network, right? I mean, you like different opinions, different insights. I mean, that's why I listen to, I know, hold on, hold on. I'm going to say Fox News once in a while because you got to know what other people are thinking and doing in this world. You have to. Because otherwise, you know, it's almost like me, an example of not being exposed in a a big, grand fashion to social media for a while. And then I'm watching it going like, oh, my God, (laughs) I feel like, you know, the world is really, really going to the shitter, man. (laughs) All right. So Deborah Driggs, that's D-R-I-G-G-S. She's a healing coach and author. And you got to check out her website, DeborahDriggs.com. She's written her first book, Son of a Basque. It's about an immigrant and a survivor story, and it's about bonds and gifts of family. Uh, and she is just a pretty impressive woman. Um, you know, I mentioned when I recorded this the other day, I mentioned to her how a lot of people, and, and um, I'm one of them as well, have people comment on my post about, oh, we think you're so inspirational. We think blah, 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 blah. And, and that's great. You know, whatever people feel like they need to do but it doesn't really mean anything to me because in life all the things I've experienced all the things you've experienced the hardships the loss the pain the hurt right the anger you don't get through those because you're trying to show to the world that you can get through them unlikely highly unlikely you do it because you need to for survival purposes to be resilient, right? No matter how Herculean the task is, especially in self-care, self-love, you know, I, you know, I talk about so many different things that uh, even just being born with a rare visual impairment, there's no, no remedy for it. No glasses, no surgery. You know, could I have a chip on my shoulder my entire life? Absolutely. But why? Why? What good is that going to do me? Man, no good whatsoever. All right, so enough about me. Let's talk about <laughs> Deborah Driggs. Uh, so I spoke with her the other day. You're really going to dig it. She's out on the West Coast. And um, check out her story. Oh, the one thing, keep in mind, I mentioned before, she was on the cover of the Playmate. She was on the cover of Playboy three times. And one of them, and I didn't see this until after the interview, so don't kill me. One of them, the cover was featured with, ready? Donald Trump. Yeah, I know. So I feel like I failed as an interviewer. This actual interview came together very, very quickly. I have a great publicist named Javier, and he's like, Mark, I got a great interview. I'm like, I don't have any time this week except for X. And I'm like, okay, cool. And that gave me like two or three hours to get to the studio and record it, so I didn't have a ton of time to prepare. So I didn't see the picture of her on the cover with Donald Trump because I would have gone there entirely. Like, number one, did you sleep with him? (laughs) This was back in, I think, 1990-ish, but um, obviously, uh, but still, once a Trump, always a Trump. Anyway, enjoy the interview. Deborah. who would have thunk, right, when you're in your 20s, that one day you'd be living with your mother after being married for almost a decade? And, And that's not the shocking part. The shocking part is the revelation that you had by doing daily walks and understanding other people's adversity, which gave you courage. Yeah. Who would have thought, right? Like who who would have thought? And when I look back at that time, 
of living with my mother at the age of 40 something, 42, 43, and thinking, how did I get here? <laughs> how did I go from having all this success in life to now being broke, being knowing now that I'm an alcoholic, my kids are living with their dad. I've been to lockdown. I've been to jail. I've been like completely rock bottom. And now I'm living with my mom walking dogs. Yeah. And and the looming question, how the hell did I get out of here? Yeah. How do, what do I do? What now? <laughs> okay. What now? Florida, Florida strike one, retirement center strike two. Well, that's yeah. motivation. Did you, see, did you ever see that movie in her shoes with Cameron? Oh, oh it's a great movie. Love it. Where she's laying by the pool yes. in a bikini and in the senior center, you know, and they're all playing shuffleboard and she's like walking around like that was me. I was in a 55 and over community. And even though I was in my 40s, I still looked pretty young, fairly young, and I was in good, good shape. And, you know, and I just stuck out like a sore thumb. And that's why when I'd go to walk the dogs, all these people would stop me and say, who are you visiting? What are you doing here? Oh, that's so great. That's so great. You're visiting your mom. And, you know, and, and then, you know, but what they didn't know is that I had absolutely nothing going on. And I was completely, you know, getting sober and trying to stay sober and trying to figure out my life. Mm. In my Ford, well, like talk about a midlife crisis. Uh, yeah, Usually yeah. people buy a Porsche. On multiple levels, no less. So before <laughs> we go to the serious aspect, I have to say that I had that same thought about that movie. And I was thinking, what a great reality show though. You know, you know, hard times, everyone, first of all, the millennials are going home or haven't left, you know? So there's a lot of parallels that could actually work. So yes, um, being a figure skater at seven, a great athlete, a model, an actress doing really well financially, going to Japan, being discovered. All these great things happen to you. But that one big void that a lot of people have in life, the lack of love is something that material items, alcohol, anything you can pour or eject in your body can only fix for a short time. So what was rock bottom for you? Rock bottom was turning 40, getting divorced, having to start over with three young children and realizing, I realized the day that I was actually divorced that I had made probably the biggest mistake of my life because wow. I didn't, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't, I could not get a grasp on anything and I kept pretending like everything was okay and it wasn't and it just kept getting darker and darker and darker until I just ended up completely broken down and rock bottom was I was in a department store in Utah in Salt Lake City called RC Willie I'm in this department store and I literally collapsed and fell wow. to my knees and I was hysterically crying and I don't cry like that and I I was just hysterical. And I, you know, when you cry and you can't get your breath. Sure. Uncontrollable. <laughs> and I just thought people are going to lock me up because I'm literally losing my shit right now, like big time. Mm. And that was my, that was my moment where I was like, I'll never forget it because I was one in a public place and two couldn't stop the crying. And I knew right then and there that I had hit rock bottom. Wow. And that but feeling that of there sure. was no more, yeah, there was no more mask. It was like I, I'm 
doing this. And in it's, it's not a conscious choice. It's it's the body's way of saying, okay, that's it. Can't tolerate anymore. Here's where we're going to give a major, major symptom to Deborah. Yeah. And it literally, like, it was like there was no hiding. But even at that rock bottom moment, I knew that it was, I knew something was bad because hmm. I couldn't control what was going on. And the only way I could feel good, the only way I could feel good, get that like hit of dopamine was to drink. Hmm. So and you were a functioning I, alcoholic. Oh, I was totally, totally yeah. functioning. I'd have, I'd have episodes. They weren't regular episodes. So that's what Small was benders. Happening. Yeah. I'd have a, I'd have where I just pushed, you know, got, went past the mark too much and people would kind of notice it, but it wasn't like, oh yeah, I kind of drank too much. Yeah. Okay. Got to calm that down. And I think, okay, they're on to me, you know? What was your husband's perception of this act and uh, alcoholism? Well, without the title back then. I seriously, to this day, don't even think that he knew at the time. Really? No, how bad I was. It wasn't really until I got divorced that it, I couldn't hide it anymore because now I was in a, I, I, with him, we were married. So we'd go out and maybe we'd have fun together. And he may have thought, Deb, you know, you drank a little too much, but it was never like, he never sat me down and said, I'd really appreciate if you didn't drink or, mm. you know, it's nothing. And, and even like my kids, they don't really have memories of me in their younger years. They don't, they really, for them, the memories of me drinking started after the divorce. That's great. You don't want yeah, those memories. So, yeah. So really what was going on was what they call, you know, I was very dry for a lot of years too. So even though I wasn't drinking heavily, I still had the ism. I mm. still had the mental obsessions going on and the, the struggling and very suicidal thoughts. You know, I, I, I don't want to die. I don't want to kill myself, but I would just think like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to feel like this. And I couldn't understand. And then I would think, well, maybe it's postpartum or maybe it's this, or I'd always blame it on something else. I never really looked at the drinking that it was even part of the story until I got divorced. And then I was like, maybe this alcohol has something to do with it, you know? And that's really how naive I was too. I didn't know I suffered from a disease of alcoholism. I knew yeah. Correct me, Deborah, if I'm wrong on this, but prior to that, way prior to that, when you're in your teens, you had self-harm thoughts. So alcohol wasn't a variable back then, correct? Oh, no. Alcohol started really young. Oh, so it did. I grew up with, my grandparents had a bar in their house. Who has a bar in their house? Like they had a full on bar set up and alcohol behind <laughs> the bar. And, and, bar you were, like and you were a junior bartender, I imagine. I was nine years old making drinks and I would be back behind the bar smelling. And I had a fantasy with alcohol and a, and a wow. whole, a whole thing with it at a very mm. young age. And I would sit, they would say, you know, my, my grandmother's British. So she, Debbie, you know, make us a, you know, seven and seven or, you know, snappy, whatever. make it snappy. Yeah. Make it snappy. And you know, in that, wouldn't that be nice, you know? And so, you know, she's British. My grandfather's Spanish. He's speaking Spanish. I mean, the, the, the 
the total dysfunction going on in my childhood was so out of a book and so out of a like crazy, the craziness. And then you got like her British friends would come over and they drank like fish. And I just got excited because I'd get behind the bar and start being the mixology and taking sips. And so I started, I had an obsession with alcohol at nine, at 14, it started big when I quit skating and I was left to my own devices at this point. And being was, behind a bar was a bit of a stage for you because a stage that kept getting bigger and grander on every level. So that was your entree into the world of media, commercials, um, becoming a cover and playmate, cover of Playboy three times? Yep. Wow. Yeah. That, that's impressive. Three times. And dozen, wow. and dozen European covers and, you know, Asia market and, you know, and then I was the first VJ for Playboy's Hot Rocks, which, you know, back then you had Cinemax, HBO, Showtime, VH1, MTV. That, you know, that was mm. pretty much the lineup back sure. then. And then so Playboy decided to have a cable channel and they came to me because my I came out March 90. And I think it was two months later, they came to me and said, would you be interested in hosting this video show? And of I course, thought, yeah. I thought, OK, OK, yeah. great. So, you know, and, and I was really green, but, you know, but excited. To, and I jumped right in. And so I was our first VJ, like ground up like we had one camera then we got to you know we were so it was brand new and that experience kind of propelled me into a whole different realm because at that point I hadn't really used me mm. as a little bit but not really I wasn't the host I was yeah, not the entire our, package yeah I was in commercials and, and doing you know bit parts on TV and I think I had just done my first film so I really you know now this was Playboy's Hot Rocks with Deborah Driggs you know was and I was like post I your you, Pat Benatar look yeah <laughs> that's it right I grew up with Pat Benatar great look yeah and so that was a whole other thing. But, you know, the thing I always say with addiction and what I'm really starting to discover and unpack as I go, because it's always everything is always a learning. Something new comes into my toolbox. But my first addiction was for sure attention. It was always eyes on me. Look at me. Here I am. And I and it really came because there was so much sadness and anger. There was always fighting with adults. When I was growing up, I have so many memories of fights and arguments and people getting so pissed off and leaving. You know, my grandmother mm. had Thanksgiving, half the family would leave. And so I would always be the one trying to go, hey, let me put on a show. Sure. Yeah. Let Toxic environment. A... Yeah. And so there was no mistake that I ended up in a business. This is this is Insight on the Progressive Radio Network. My name is Mark Farrell. My guest is Deborah Driggs, healing coach and author. Her book is Son of a... Son of... I knew I was going to do this because I knew throughout the interview, I'd say son of a bitch at least once. So That's okay. It is it, son of a bitch. <laughs> son of a Basque. And this... Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch, son of a Basque. This hey. is the uh, epitomizes 
um, your learning of your grandfather um, from 1924, he was born. Yeah. And led a really, really challenging life. Became the head of his household at age 10. Um, you learn of all these incredible and courageous feats that he did. Um, and that was fuel for you as well. So you have the retirement community and then you have this great lineage that you learned of that also propelled you to become a better version of Deborah Driggs. Yeah, it's it's it was so fascinating. My grandfather died in 1998. This book, this manuscript was written 40 years ago. In 2017, I flew to Florida. My grandmother was dying and and while, you know, before she wanted to give me her jewelry and I found this box in the garage with the manuscript and I didn't want her jewelry. I was like, I don't want your jewelry. I want this box. Is that okay? And she's like, I don't even know what's in it. Like, that's how it just sat for years. Mm. So I shipped the box to LA, to California. And I really didn't open it until 2019. And when I opened it, I started pulling out, like I, I there were letters to publishers and there was like, you know, kind of like a, what do you call it? A, um, you know, when you try to narrow something down, like a outline, an outline, there was an outline and, and all these great things. And so I, I'm taking it out and I'm kind of, it's like a puzzle on my dining room floor Wow, of fascinating! All these, of all these pages. And meanwhile, I'm super emotional because as I'm reading it, I didn't know my grandfather's sister died in the well. I didn't know that he worked at a prison. I didn't know that, you know, and I'm going, okay, this, this is so separate from what I do today. But the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because I thought where the light bulb went off and where it kind of fits into what I do is I thought, what if I had the roadmap from all my grandparents? Mm. Like, what if I knew all their stories? What if I knew all their childhood traumas or things that they struggled with, how fascinating that would be. And here this was, I had this gem in my hands of my grandfather, who, by the way, I was very close to growing up. I spent a lot of weekends with them, with my grandparents and thinking that I knew him. And I'm, and by the way, I did his eulogy at his funeral. Wow. And after reading this, I was like, I didn't even, I didn't do that justice. Like this man was a complete hero. After reading this manuscript, I was like, this is going to be a book. I don't know how, I don't know who, I. this is not my expertise, but this is going to happen. And I made it a, my mission to make that happen. And it seems like it has happened. And one thing struck me about your synopsis of your grandfather, about how vastly and widely and on every level you were impressed by all he's done and all that men keyword men have done yeah i found that to be curious why just men because you're a person uh as a coach a healer that you're helping others work through their emotion uh trauma victim mentality and dealing i think exclusively or targeting women so i was curious to see how that dynamic played into men but in your profession, you want to seek women. Yeah. So this, the interesting thing about what I do today is I do attract a certain type of client that is struggling with a certain type of situation and they all are very similar. 
So for some reason, I attract that in, and that's fine with me because it is a part of my coaching that I'm super proud of. Sure. But with my grandfather, you know, I, I think that the, the history alone in the book is fascinating. When you think about that time in history and where I got super impressed with him as a man, as a hero, as a leader, as a military specialist. Family well, leader. Family, just everything about sure. Yeah, yeah. Was, you know, the fact that he was a tail gunner in World War II, surviving 25 missions. And the one mission, the one mission, he was in the infirmary with pneumonia and his crew (laughs) got shot down. And I, you know, the thing that struck me when I was going through this manuscript was he never got over that. Because that was the first time in a long time that he found this family with these buddies and his best friend, and they were doing all these missions. And the one mission he couldn't go on where he was in the infirmary, they all got shot down and that was it. And I don't think he ever recovered from that. And that really stood out to me. So I have the utmost respect Mm. for for just him surviving uh, all those missions, but not, not only the war missions, but surviving, losing all his buds. Mm You know, survivor's guilt. Yeah. Survivor's guilt. He had that. He really did. And now when I look back, I can put these pieces together and I can see, oh, wow, I can see now where this, this affected him. You know, he was a really interesting person. And I think he held most of what he had been through in life in. Well, certainly that was the era. Yeah. We never, we never saw any of this. And Trevor Driggs, are you surprised that you survived into your twenties and thirties looking back? A hundred percent. I mean, literally this disease of mine almost took me out twice. And the fact that I woke up both times from, you know, complete overdose of my addiction was like, okay, I'm not going for the third. If you know what I mean? Like, three strikes you're out mm, and I've absolutely. had two, yeah. two fails. And I think that that's, that was enough. And I remember I ended up in two months of rehab and when they looked at my case, I remember, I don't know why this woman felt compelled to tell me this at that moment, but whatever, whatever, for whatever reason, it always stuck with me and it does to this day. And that scared me more than going to jail or more than waking up in a mental home. But what she said scared me. And that was only 2% that leave here will stay sober or even live. Yep. What? You know, that's a daunting number. Yeah. So I come, yeah, please. So I come from alcoholic parents. I've been to the precipice many times. I was actually just having a conversation with a pretty much a stranger the other day saying he goes, oh, he confused me for somebody who goes to AA meeting. And he actually thought that I was really not coming. And I said, listen, I share my life with the world. I'm also a motivational speaker. I speak all over. My life is just broadcast everywhere, radio stages. So I would tell you, and I would respect, you know, the person's confidence, certainly if you thought um, I was someone else. But the reality was um, after college, I went to AA several times just because I want a refresher course. I used to go to meetings when I was a kid 
10 years old and 15 years old, set up the coffee for my father who ran the meetings. So I was well ensconced in the meetings, but I wanted a taste of what what was my future? What was lying ahead if I didn't get my act together? Yes, I was a New York City broadcaster, creative director, a womanizer. That was mostly my two drugs were women and alcohol. So um, I didn't get on the cover of Playgirl, unfortunately. (laughs) Not for lack of trying. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's interesting. And I have a vast background with depression. My brother died by suicide. Um, Similar to yourself, I had sort of a nervous breakdown, anxiety attack, which opened a whole world for me in mental health. So then I realized, oh, I have this gene too. And I need to address it and the alcoholism and the medication, pharmacology, et cetera. So all these things, like you're on your website, by the way, it's a beautiful website you have, DebraDriggs.com, Maya Angelou quotes, which I'm a big fan of as well, but we are the sum of all of our experiences and everything that you survived. And we're just, you know, kind of glossing over some highlights here and there's more things that make you that indomitable, intrepid, and resilient person that you are today. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. And I agree. I think that we are like every little thing that has happened or, or, you know, I used to hide. I used to hide all the time. I didn't want you to know that I suffered. I didn't want you to know that I didn't have it all together. I didn't want you to know that I couldn't handle certain things. I just appeared like I could handle, and that is dangerous. That is extremely yeah. dangerous. It's very, us. very ubiquitous because uh, I remember when I was, you know, going through two or three year rough period, still drinking and going through uh, major therapy oh. and, you know, keep my life in semblance. Um, but for me, I had to, well, it was part embarrassment. Even my best friends didn't know I was going through like a major, I couldn't sleep for, you know, two or three hours a night. Anxiety was through the roof. But the point is that I almost had to not tell anybody because I was using every fiber of my being, Deborah Driggs, to keep my shit together. Yeah. So I felt like if I opened up, I would just gush and flow and there's no turning that faucet off. I understand that. Like it resonates on such a deep level because that's exactly it. If I say anything, the floodgates would open. And by the way, Going back to my husband, imagine imagine if he actually (laughs) saw who I really was. You know, I was, we were young. I was 28 when I got married. That's young today, you know, and Mm. I, we had kids right away. And, and at that time I thought, I thought the world was my oyster and everything was beautiful and rainbows and unicorns. And I was happy. And I, I really, really loved him and everything and but i didn't know this family disease got me so bad when you said you know it is a family gene it's a family disease i mean who knew that in my 40s it would just take me like a wrecking ball you know it's and interesting now I have to show and now i have to show i have to really ask for help. And then by the way, this is the hard part. Today, it's not like this, but 19 years ago, it was, it was, see, she's an alcoholic, or 
It was used against me, not let's get her help. Do you understand well, that? Oh, I understand? totally understand it. But also yeah. the reality is you have to get help yourself because 10,000 yes. people can drag you into a, a psychiatrist's office, psychologist, but until that yeah. person is ready, it's just yeah. wasted effort. But what I mean is, yeah. is sometimes people will use your biggest defense. Yes. Yep. That label. You. And that just made it worse for mm. me because then I just went deeper into a hole and then I really didn't want anybody to know what was going on. And that that's, that's what I'm saying. That's when it becomes dangerous. Yeah. I wish this is, I say this all the time because I, I have all different people in my life that I have as a team, you know, and I believe in sponsorship and all of that. That's part of my deal. It's not for everybody, but it's part of my story. And, but I also believe in, I wish more people would speak up and tell their story, which mm -hmm. I think is really starting to happen more. Yeah. Really does help. For me, it would have helped me 19 years ago to hear more about addiction. Now it's, we have social media, it's a different world, but 19 years ago, it wasn't the case. Oh, absolutely. And on different levels of mental health, I mean, I speak a lot for American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Sometimes I get up behind a podium or on stage and say, I'm here today because I didn't, you know, listen to the inner and scary demons about taking my life. I sought help. I used medication to benefit me and to make me a healthier version of myself. And I'm a man, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a broadcaster. And that's why I'm out here because too much and too often, you know, we have to destigmatize. Obviously, we've made great leaps and bounds in the last, I'd say, five years. And I thought we'd be a more evolved and empathetic and compassionate <sighs> since the post-pandemic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we are to an extent. But I want to go back for a second, Deborah Drakes, to what you were saying about when you were married, about if you had told your husband you were very young. And two thoughts came to my mind right away. Number one, if you had had the capacity to share. And we certainly understand why you wouldn't be able to then, but maybe one of two things would have happened. You would have become a stronger, healthier couple, or yeah. maybe he, or the marriage would have ended sooner. Yeah. It's, it's a, who it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a game that I will never know the answer to. And the, the, the only thing, you know, it's like today I try to stay away from regrets or should ups or any of that, because it doesn't help serve what my real purpose is. But I do think a lot about in terms of, you know, if if certain people in my life early on would have known me differently, that that would have kind of maybe changed. Like you said, we would have either remained friends or not. But I will. I, I know this to be true. And I'm sure you've had this experience and running and going crazy and women's lunches and rosé pouring endlessly. They're all gone. When you decided to get clean. You made a phone call, I imagine, to your husband, which I love that term. I can't imagine how difficult it was to say, can you take our children for yeah. indefinite period of time? Was that major fuel for you um, then? And do you think that's one of the reasons why you are where you are now because of your role as a mother? Yeah, I would say that was probably the hardest decision. And it wasn't a phone call. We were not speaking. It was an email. 
Wow. And then the lawyers had to kind of just reverse our schedule. So he became the primary parent. I became the Disneyland parent is how I like to say it. Cause that's well what put. It, sure. Right? It's all fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and then the fun and games stop, right. For the person that gets the vacation time and all that. Now I became that parent. And so, but you know, the funny thing is, is it didn't work for me. I am the primary parent. And so later on, I ended up getting full custody, not primary, but full, because I'm, I am the, regardless of my disease, I was, I'm a good mom. Sure. Oh, I have no yeah. doubt. You're yeah. invested. So, so I was invested and I couldn't be, I couldn't play the Disneyland mom. I couldn't do the, let's go hang out at all the different mm. theme parks sure. on the weekends, even even having them, the times that I did on the weekends, it was like I was helping them with their homework and I was, you know, so yeah. Being in the trenches as a parent should be. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, my role was, couldn't, couldn't change regardless of that time apart. And, and the whole time we were apart, you know, a couple of my kids would call me every single day, you know, when we, this isn't going to work. Like, when are you going to come and get us? And I was always, my response was, I'm working on it. And I yeah, was. Yeah. You know, I just had to figure out how I was going to live my life, where I was going to live my life, how I was going to make money, you know? Sure, sure. Deborah Driggs, what yeah. keeps you whole? Is it the athlete in you still working out, uh, therapy, having good social or close network of vital people? being able to help other people, all those and more, I'm sure. Connection and being of service. Yeah, yeah those I are love two, it. Two, yeah. Two, main, two main things that get me up in the morning mm. because I get excited. I get excited to come in and read emails or texts from clients. Work, I'm working with five women right now that are all going through very similar things. And I, I enjoy getting those texts where they tell me, you know, how it's helping them. And oh, it's gratifying to be able to. There's nothing like that. Yeah. Listen, my mission is to work one-on-one -on -one with anyone yeah. who's struggling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the key to my success, I really think, is the fact that I didn't grow up with that love and compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. And I really want sure. my clients to feel that. And so it's kind of cool what we didn't get in life, we get to give. And I'm sure your children feel that, Nothing like what you experienced where your father was, you know, going through a lot of mental challenges and your mom was not really a vocal person. Yeah, at all. You know, I was talking about this earlier today. You know, we were in the car quite a bit together for many years because she would we would get up at 4 a.m. And then we would drive from Torrance to Paramount and then after school from Torrance back to Paramount for me to skate. For all those years and I have no memory at all of any conversations or wow. No. That's it's almost hard, that's right? almost even hard to fathom, isn't it? It's hard to fathom and it's also a little bit of a form of abuse. Yeah. She was a very silent, wow. shut off human and very emblematic of the whole environment you're in. Yeah. So I had that wow. and then my father was Different the extreme raging alcohol and yeah. mental illness. He was so consumed mm. with himself all the time. It was all about him, just all about him, all everything, you know, everything. How do I look? How do I, it was, it was, the whole world revolved around him. 
And he would come home from working and then go out to drink. And he was in his own world. Yeah. So he's in his own world and his living heavily in his disease. Mm. And then I've got this parent who doesn't speak. <laughs> and there's no shortage of people that are out there still this day. I know many of them who, you know, they're not my close friends by all means that who function yeah. that way. If yeah. you call it functioning. Deborah, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you, what are you most proud of? I imagine certainly being sober, uh, becoming a very successful real estate salesperson, broker, I'm not exactly sure the uh, terminology, and righting the wrong of your ship and getting on the way. But before all that, was it going out on your own, being a successful model, uh, you know, being uh, the first host on the Playboy Network? Uh, what of the many, many accomplishments are you most proud of? Yeah, you know, I have to say, of everything in my life up to now, and in a few days, I'll be 59 years old. What? On this planet, yeah. You wear it well, my friend. Thank you. I, I, thank you. It's, I guess I would have to say the thing I'm really the most proud of is the way I live my life each day to day. I stay in the moment. I have the utmost respect for the people in my life that guide me every day, that mentor me. And I'm super proud of the three humans and their soul and their heart. And my, those are my three kids. How old that's are they? I, that's what most I'm most proud of. Uh, they are 25, 27, and 29. Wow, great ages. Seeing yeah. them go in their own different yeah. directions. And they're and just beautiful, beautiful human beings, all artistic and thriving and mm. They're just beautiful souls. So I can't, there's nothing I could be more proud of. <laughs> of than, course, than of that, course. As a that. parent myself, I totally concur. And if now I had my choice of having those three or that cover or that accolade, I'll, I'll take no. those three souls. No day. question. No question. Now they're moms and author. Congratulations on a fine piece of work. Thank you so much. Was it very cathartic? It was super cathartic, super emotional. As a matter of fact, I had to work with a healer to, to work out some generational stuff mm. because it was, I could feel it, you know, I could feel it. You know, those times in life where we go, I don't know why I feel this way. Sure. After working on this book, I understand, <laughs> you know that, I understand that phrase because there are things that happen to us from past generations that we had nothing to yeah. do, yet we feel sure. it. Yeah. And I believe in that wholeheartedly now. There are so many people, I uh, imagine, with the social media era, we only have about 30 seconds left, that are very impressed by people, by what they've overcome in life. And it's not something we've planned to do, but it's our survival mechanism. And if it serves as a template or inspiration, fine. Uh, but that's not how we did it. We did it for selfish reasons, for ourselves and for the people in our lives. Do you concur? Yes. DebraDriggs.com. Check out her website. It's phenomenal, folks. Deborah, it's been a blast to have you on the Thank show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Just so much gratitude for you and the sh and the show and the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've contributed uh, in your community. And I like to say, you know, a community that hurts together, heals together. And you obviously are the leading person in your community doing a fine job on the West Coast. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed a sneak peek into the life of Deborah Driggs. Good people. DebraDriggs.com. That's D-R-I-G-G-S.com. I wish her all the best. And she's she's a very, very sweet and magnanimous person. She's asked me to uh, be a part of a platform that she's 
working on for people in recovery. So I look forward to hanging with her and uh, spreading some positivity and doing some good as well. Again, her book is called Son of a Basque, B-A-S-Q-U-E. Good stuff. So, hey, it's Mark Farrell. It's still Mark Farrell, yes. And it's still Thursday, thankfully, because uh, aren't Thursdays fun? It's like you got Friday, you got Saturday, Sunday, like anything and everything's possible. Even if it's December, even if you're feeling like the time crunch, man, like the holiday spirit, does it hit you? When does it hit you? Has it hit you? It doesn't hit me (laughs) for a while. Maybe the week of. um, You know, I do have some kids. Yeah, I I can't forget those. Mark, don't forget about your kids. I do have kids, a 13 and a 10-year-old. So the 10-year-old really has this unbridled spirit for the holidays and for life, et cetera. And yeah, you know where she gets that from, right? And I love that and I brace that. So um, she helps me every year look more and more forward and get more excited for the holidays. But overall, sometimes I'm just like, oh my God, it's so much work. The tree, the lights, the shopping, the shopping, the shopping, the cooking, the shopping, the cleaning, the shopping, the tree, the lights, family, family. Oh my God. (laughs) When is enough enough? Yeah, I hear you. So mobile music and positivity. What the hell is that you say? (laughs) During a pandemic, in short, I felt so bad for isolating seniors, especially for my mom and where she lives in a senior facility, that I equipped my SUV with these giant speakers that I have, these great, really sounding JBL speakers for people who are really into sound, the SX700 series, and my amplifier, 6,000 watts for all the tech guys out there, tech people, and uh, a generator that I bought. So I have an immobile DJ facility, right? Wireless mic. I can go up to four to 500 feet. I bought a really good one. It goes far. And what I do is I drive around a perimeter of these senior facilities, get out, play Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, you name it, Benny Goodman. And then I would run around and be like, hello, feel good. You know, we're getting through this and just, you know, throwing like great positive words and phrases out there. Next, you know, I'm like, well, all right, well, I'm, I'm here playing music. Can't run the whole time. So then, like, I just started dancing. I know, right? And then kind of singing. And kind of singing went into singing, like, almost like karaoke style. And uh, people ate it up. They love it. It just made them feel connected to humanity. And it was... (laughs) Broadway was shut down. I'm by no means comparing myself to the Great White Way, but this was some form of Broadway. Song and dance that came to their doorstep. And I'm like, great, this is awesome to be able to make them feel good. So anyway, so so many facilities called me up and said, hey, can you do it for us? Can you come over here? And so it became actually something of a side business because my speaking business during COVID went completely bust, like everything in the world. So I actually was able to charge facilities. So it actually became a source of income, which led me to start speaking at senior facilities, which is kind of cool. A demographic I had never considered before, but it's great. I love this population. Awesome people. Anyway, so towns have hired me to do it for different holidays. And so, yes, with Christmas around the corner, three towns, including my town of Freehold, New Jersey, town of Freehold Borough, to be more specific, hires me. And for like an hour, it's going to be on December 17th on Saturday. It's 12 o'clock. I will be in the middle of town where four roads intersect. And I kid you not, I jump up on the curb with my SUV and there's a giant Christmas tree behind me. It's very much like a Hallmark Main Street USA setting looking, feeling, vibe, you name it. And the speakers are blasting, 
pointing different directions on top of my car and I have my wireless mic and I'm in the middle of the intersection with a Santa hat on, singing, running, having different intersections, part of the intersection, beep their horns, have beep offs like compared to the other horns and get people in the spirit, ask them if they're ready for the holidays, wish them happy Christmas, wish them happy Hanukkah, everything to get them pumped, motivated, and feeling good. I get them rolling down their windows, fist pumping, standing up through the sunroofs. I get kids smiling, dogs barking, cats whispering. I don't know, the cats whisper. It just came out of my mouth. What am I going to say? <laughs> it's a great time. Mobile music and positivity. If you want me to come to your town, I probably can't because that means you have to be near me within an hour or two's drive in New Jersey or New York City or Pennsylvania. Otherwise, um, it's a great concept, and I'm happy to make people feel good. That's what I love to do in life, make people feel good. Are you feeling good today? Well, if you're not, hopefully it's early in the day. Maybe there's something you can do, something you can think about. Do, first of all, I'm going to actually, I glossed over do. Try to do something Wall squats, a walk, a plank, a push-up, anything you can do to change your energy. Because when you don't feel good, I'm not talking about being like sick. I'm talking about just maybe being down, mentally a little distraught. Change your physical state, energy. And I don't want to sound like some like far, far off like healer, like, oh, no, no, no. It's real. Like when I'm in the radio, <coughs> excuse me, I'm on the air for maybe three, I'm sorry, for five hours at most stations not this one. That's a long time to be speaking six, seven times an hour to be creative. So sometimes to keep that energy, I will, not sometimes, most times, I will go down and do planks. I will do push-ups. I will do wall squats, anything to keep my blood going and energy up. So maybe that's one thing. Maybe it's going to get a cup of coffee. Maybe it's calling a friend or someone you haven't connected with. Maybe it's dressing inappropriately on social media. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever it takes you to get you through the night. Hey, Gary Null is going to take you through your lunchtime as he does exquisitely every lunchtime right here on the Progressive Radio Network. Hey, you having fun today? Good. I'm glad I was able to positively impact your day. No matter what you do, remember, man, this life ride, it's a short one. Let's have fun. Keep living life, enjoying life, and keep coming here every Thursday for Insight. Have a great one. Insight with Mark Farrell. Check out this and all Insight shows on the Insight page at prn.fm. prn.fm. Have Mark speak at your company, your kid's school or college. Mark speaks on critical topics that affect kids and adults everywhere, from anti-bullying, mental health, drugs and alcohol, to overcoming adversity. Visit markfarrellmotivation.com for more info. Insight, Thursday mornings at 11 on the Progressive Radio Network. Network.